You're listening to Fix Me a Drink, a Flaviar podcast. Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, Flaviar's head of cocktails and spirits. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Wander. How are you, Dave? I'm doing good. Looking forward to uh, today's talk. Absolutely. We have one of your old friends, uh, Michael Ruhlman, the journalist, award-winning book author. He has a brand new book out called The Book of Cocktail Ratios, which I think folks will find very interesting. Yeah, very useful. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a lovely book. And, you know, Michael's a great person to talk with. Yeah, his, I mean, his uh, Making of a Chef, which now has come out, I don't know, 20 odd years ago was incredibly uh, informative. Very important book, yeah. Yeah, and then kind of changed in many ways how we view cooking. So Mm -hmm. I imagine I'll have some very interesting ideas. We'll get them on the line in a minute. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Michael. Hey, David. Hey, Noah. Glad to be here. Congratulations on on the new book. It just came out. It was very exciting. I mean, I, I'm definitely looking at it. Uh, I, I love the cover, of course. I I know the contents of the book quite well. Got to confess a little bit of jealousy as to how it came out. Uh, that's a that's a fantastic book, and I hope you're proud of it. Uh, I am, and and hearing you say that means so much to me. And I thank you, David. It's a fun book. It's an easy book to read. It's got a lot of information in it and a lot of just really good advice, which uh, is is kind of the most important thing. Who's your ideal reader? Who who did you write this book for? I think I might I write most books for me first because I'm curious about something. I don't write a book because I know something already. I write a book because I don't know something. I wrote the book for um, really home mixologists. I mean, this is not a book. This is not a book that will be a surprise to any professional mixologist. Um, I hope they have there are ideas in it that they would want to debate. Um, I hope they look at it as a reference and and uh, out of curiosity. But I think it's most valuable to the home mixologist, the the person who wants to make a great cocktail. I was I've been sort of astonished by how intimidated many people are about mixing a good cocktail. I mean, I can say, would you like a Manhattan or would you like a Boulevardier? And they're just like. Ooh, how do you make a Manhattan? Um, and here's one of the, the oldest and greatest cocktails we have, and it's still kind of a mystery to so many people. This, like so many other books, I wanted to simplify a craft. I uh, hear the craft of mixing cocktails, a, a worthy and venerable craft, and one, uh, one I, I truly appreciate. I love mixing cocktails for people. I love the cocktail hour. I love how it brings people together, uh, and I want more people to do it. One of the things is that, you know, there are, thousands of cocktails on the internet right you you go to some of these sites there are you know it's an overwhelming number of recipes and drinks and but what really i mean uh, it most of them really just boil down to a few simple ratios right and i think that's still i mean while most bartenders understand that professionals certainly and, and even advanced home bartenders for most people that idea that you could swapping in one or two ingredients and suddenly opens up a whole world of possibilities is is still not known right and it's still a mystery it really all began with my first book called ratio it was about cooking ratios um and that came from my desire to simplify cooking people complicate cooking 
I was interviewing a chef at the, at the Culinary Institute of America, Uwe Hessner, when I was writing my book, The Making of a Chef. And he was this German chef. And he looked at I was interviewing him in his office. He turned and he swept his hand at his, all his walls. And there were, his shelves were just buckling with cookbooks. And he said, you know, I can show you. I have a terrible German accent. Perhaps someone else can. Uh, <laughs> you see all these books? I suggested. I can show you the contents of these books in two pages. Would you like to see? I said, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> sure. And he spun around in his chair to an old metal filing cabinet, pulled out two sheets of paper, papers, and, and here was a list of 28 ratios that covered a whole range of cooking. And he'd broken it down into, well, ratios. But what was interesting to me was the hollandaise ratio. For that, it was three yolks, one pound of butter. That was it. But, well, wait a minute. What about lemon? And what about, you know, more complicated cider reduction, say? And then I thought, well, if you don't have a lemon or a reduction or a shallot or herbs or pepper, is it still a hollandaise? Well, yeah, it's a bland hollandaise, but it's still a hollandaise. Take away the butter, take away the uh, eggs, and you don't have a hollandaise. He'd reduce the recipe to, uh, you know, a, a diamond to its essence. And I love that idea. And that's why I wrote that book. And then during the pandemic, there were uh, five of us in our pod, as we called them back then, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And one of our, our activities was an evening cocktail. And they made a cocktail, a different cocktail every night, which got me exploring various cocktails. What we're, what are we going to do tonight? Um, and I, you know, I started doing my Friday cocktail hour. We started doing it live on Instagram. Um, and in doing all these cocktails, a cocktail a night, I realized how interrelated they are. Now, mixologists know this. They call it the Mr. Potato Head. I don't know, phenomenon, or they use that metaphor, a metaphor that I've got an issue with. I believe Phil Ward started started that business. Well, he, he gave it the name. And, you know, there, it's funny. There are a few subtler mixologists than Phil Ward. <laughs> so, you know, he it's kind of funny coming from him. He's got like kind of the most reductive theory, but but you know, that's a starting place. It's not a finishing right. place. Uh, Mr. Potato Head. It's a way of getting you into the ballpark. And then you've got then you've got to tweak and 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 work on it. And Phil Ward, obviously, you know, very experienced New York bartender who worked at Flatiron Lounge and Pegu Club and Death and Co. and then Mayuel, his own bar, and and now works Long Island Bar and Cobble Hill, Carroll Gardens. But and the Mr. Potato Head theory roughly is that this idea that you just plug and play different ingredients into the same recipe and then call yourself a genius. Phil is a man of few <laughs> words. The thing is, what happens with in in drinks is you're not replacing the nose with a funnier nose or different eyes. You're replacing the potato. Otherwise, and that's how the metaphor works. So you're you're replacing the potato with another potato. With a different, yeah, no. yeah. You're you're replacing a gin potato right. with a, vodka potato, right? You know, I love the idea of simplifying. I love the idea of uh, making it easy mm -hmm. for people. Uh, and when you see the interrelated nature of cocktails, you not only know if you know one ratio, you know a dozen different cocktails, but you also know how they vary, how you can create your own how you can add liqueur to a white lady and you've got a whole different drink and it's fantastic. So, you know, it helps you understand how cocktails work. I mean, I think, I think it works differently for a home mixologist than it does for somebody who's a, 
making drinks in a bar uh, where you've got to have uh, formulas for the cocktail list. You've got to have reproducible things. Uh, for the home mixologist, it, it's like uh, kind of market cooks in a way, I think, where you just see what's at the market and you fall back on a couple simple techniques and then you, you just make something. It might not be a pre-existing recipe. It might be one. I mean, that's this is where the, the Mr. Potato Head school really comes in handy, I think, is, is you say, oh, okay, I've got scotch. I don't have bourbon. So I'll... I'll you know, make a Scotch Manhattan. But but if you're making it, you say, well, okay, the bitters are going to have to be a little different because Scotch tastes different. And you know, you know, from experience that. And you say, well, a little orange goes well with Scotch. Let me put in a bar spoon of orange Curacao. And, you know, and, and the, the next night, if you still have Scotch, you might come up with something completely different. Some of the basic ingredients, but switching out one thing or another. And, and and it's it's just a way, I think it's a way of getting you to something palatable. In my mind, I always saw bartending closer to baking, right, than than cooking necessarily. We're, we're like, you know, bakers, kind of what you were saying, Dave, depending upon what's in the pantry, they have certain recipes for a certain type of cake that works with different ingredients or different, you know, or different pies, but basically... You know, there are certain ratios, which is why, like on all these baking shows, they can throw at contestants something and, you know, suddenly they're able to whip something incredible up. It's funny because I, I myself gravitate more to cooking than to baking. But <laughs> I do like making drinks where cooking, like, it's like I remember talking to Gary Regan about this and he was like, Noah, like you and your like fixed ratios and your recipes. Like, I don't, I don't believe in that. And I was like, what do you mean, Gary? Like, how do you, like, what do you mean you don't believe in recipes? And he was like, well, one day your lime tastes like this. The next day it tastes like that. Maybe you need a little more. And I'm like, all right, I get it, Gary. But like, the, you need the basic ratio. You need the basic structure. And then that's 2.0 where you get to another level where, you know, mm -hmm. you're tasting the ingredients, which is somewhat more like cooking where, you know, you're, you're tasting sauces or, you know, uh, meat as they're cooking and maybe adding a little bit more salt or pepper. So, I mean, it's, it's just funny how uh, almost everybody sort of has a different approach to bartending <laughs> and, and equates it to, you know, something else differently. Another reason the ratios help, and I'm going back to the book to see where I, I put it. I can't remember where I put it. Um, but I started with, uh, one of the first drinks I started looking into was the margarita. And David, thank you for your history of the margarita mm -hmm. and your wandering into the swamp of its history. <laughs> oh boy, that's that is <laughs> a, a quagmire. Yeah, fascinating yeah. to watch and, and you know. Um, but I started looking at recipes, like okay, what's the, what's the definitive one? And there is no definitive recipe of the margarita. I, I found Death and Company has their own margarita. Everyone, you know. And all different proportions. And who's is best? What's a home mixologist to do when confronted with five different different recipes for a margarita? My answer is return to the ratio. The margarita is a sour or a day. It's a daisy as well. And so it's a basic sour. So once you realize that and you realize the sour ratio, then you say, okay, let's start here with the margarita and tweak it. I like a standard sour margarita. Um, with just a little, with a bar spoon of simple syrup. I think it just needs a little hint of sweetness mm. there. And that, of course, is a matter of taste. But you start with the ratio and figure it out. 
I like I get the sweetness by not by increasing the uh, amount of liqueur or adding sugar in mine. I just cut the lime juice down a little bit. That works too. I, I think one of the uh, the beauties of mixing drinks, and you see you see it in in this book too, is is the old saying. You know, there 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 are many paths through, through the woods. Yeah, which is true. I mean, you turn here and you go around this tree, and you're on one path. You go around the tree the other direction, and you're on a different path. And you know the paths almost make themselves, mm-hmm. and and uh, you could start with something very similar and end up in very different places. Makes it fun. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's sort of like you know you you go to Rome, right? Every restaurant, most restaurants have almost the same menu, right? Same dishes. Mm-hmm. Every restaurant prepares them slightly differently. They all taste differently. That's sort of the joy and the beauty of of eating in Rome, right? And I think a lot of bars, there was a lot of pride in, you know, a few of the bars, you know, did the ratio, right? The classic ratio, like Sasha's bars. And then mm-hmm. you had all these other bars where they wanted to put their own spin on it, right? Everybody for a while wanted to make their own Manhattan version, right? Mostly named after Brooklyn neighborhoods, right? Where they're adding a little bit of a morrow, this, that. And they didn't want, you know, they didn't want to just serve the classic and you'd go in and you'd say, oh, can I have a dark and stormy even and they'd be like well we don't have the classic dark and stormy we have a version of the dark and stormy right which it's wonderful in some ways right if you never want to make drinks at home but also if you want the classic it's it's not great but also if you want to learn how to make drinks it's not great because that, you know what are you going to learn how to make <laughs> whose version because they're yeah. you're right i mean like yeah. in your book it's interesting because you even for some of the rest of you're looking at all these different sources and like for some things, there should be like a definitive ratio, a definitive recipe, right? There should be something, right, to say, this is it. But for most of these drinks, even if there is one, it's never referenced. So, you know, you know, there's wild differences in all these ones, which, you know, for most people, that's when they just, I think, close their browser or turn off their phone and they mm-hmm. pour themselves a scotch or a bourbon um, or they make the one drink that they know how to make, you know, so it is, it is overwhelming. Which and that, That's, you know, that's part of the fun of going to a craft cocktail bar is, you know, for instance, I, I love, I love the Dante Manhattan. They've done a great job with their mixing different Amara, Amari and a couple of different uh, bourbons or a bourbon and a rye. I can't quite remember. But that's why you go to a, a, a cocktail bar or you go to a cocktail bar to have a drink that you for which you need Benedictine, say. You don't want to buy a whole bottle of Benedictine, which you is infrequently used. But if you want a Vieux Carré, that's something I don't order at a at a cocktail bar. But, you know, there are a lot of drinks where it's it's really pretty loose. Right. Like a Manhattan, you know, a little more vermouth, a little less vermouth. It's all going to taste pretty good as long as it's within... And you, you know, can adjust it on the fly too. Like it's yeah. like more like making coffee or something. Yeah, taste it. In baking, ratios are really important uh, and valuable. Um, the thing about baking versus cocktail making is that cocktail making is really easy. You have about two ways of mixing a drink. Um, <laughs> you stir it or you shake it. It's not like it's also really fast. And it's really fast. Yeah. You know, because baking, baking takes hours. Sometimes days. If, especially if you're rising the dough and raising, you know, all, all that stuff. And then all types of like, you know, real specialized techniques that need to be mastered where, you know, Dave and I were, 
teaching a class recently about how to make cocktails. And it's like, it doesn't matter how you shake your shaker, as long as it stays closed, right? And you have ice and the ingredient. I mean, you could throw it up and down like a yo-yo if you could manage it. It would be fine. Like, you know, I mean, that's... You know, in the 50s, there was a yo-yo shaker. <laughs> <laughs> I that there's one, I'm sure, I've seen those. Or one that looked like a barbell. But like, you know, it, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter. Like, it, you know, we're, we're baking. There's obviously like, if you do things wrong, it's it's not going to end up right. We're, I mean, I think that's... I mean, that's what definitely drew me to cocktails originally, right? Was that even if it was bad, it was kind of good, right? Or you could fix it or lead to another epiphany where, you know, I would always, you know, be at somebody's house, plan to make a drink, go to their stash of bottles, find that they don't have X bottle and realize that they have something else, make mix it up. Mm-hmm. It's delicious. And then get home and realize you think that you've invented a new drink. <laughs> you realize, oh, it's just... It was actually existed. That's, you know, that's the Mamie Taylor. Like, Somebody you know, that's that. right. Yeah. And and it's a great drink. And that's, but once you have that confidence with the ratio, then it's like that. It's, it, it unlocks, I think, a lot of creativity and, and confidence too. Yeah. The difficult part of, of making cocktails, I think, comes in when you add the front of house job to oh my it, God. where you're making lots of cocktails in front of people fast because they're waiting for you and they're talking to you and exactly the short order cook you know it's it's easy to cook an, a fried egg for yourself what's hard <laughs> is making a fried egg an omelet uh you know a couple scrambled <laughs> eggs a poached egg some home fries bacon ham all at the same time all you know started at different yeah. times and and making them all end up on the proper plates yeah, and and that, that's when mixing drinks gets absolutely. hard uh and unfortunately, mostly we don't have to deal with that. Another reason I love ratios is it it, it, it makes it easy to create your own cocktails. If you've got an idea for a cocktail, mm-hmm. use right. teaspoons as as your measurement, mm. and or a tablespoon, say, so you can reduce it um, yeah. by by a third um, uh, in teaspoons. So mm-hmm. I made a lot of drinks using a tablespoon and teaspoons, just trying things out. That's a cool idea. Yeah. Do you have like a signature that you created out of that method, like or a favorite one? I can't tell you that. <laughs> I'm afraid it's it's too valuable. It's too valuable. Yeah, right, fair. It, it's uh, you're already in discussions with uh, <laughs> yeah. with one of the large distilling companies, and the, can the cannery is waiting. No. You know, no, but I think, I think it's something like if, if Phil Ward back to Phil again was he coming up with his division bell and he thought about the he used the uh, the last word as a as a uh, uh, model for that, but the proportions are different. How did he come up with those proportions? They're not one to one to one to one. They're they're variable, and so that's the kind of thing that that's how I would imagine testing right. small quantities would be. My favorite, actually, my favorite drink. I guess I I would like to claim, and it's no more complicated than say Jim Meehan adding some absinthe to a Hemingway daiquiri and calling it the sun also rises. I added some maraschino to a white lady and the difference astonished me and I loved it. And maybe it was because I realized how powerful liqueurs could be, Um, but it also worked really well. And I call it the uh, white lady Jubilee. I'll have to try that. That sounds, uh, how much maraschino do you add? It's a teaspoon, just a teaspoon. And and that's the good thing is that, you know, I think, you know, it's been an open secret, these ratios or formulas, right? And people bandy about the idea of, Mm-hmm. The Negroni equal parts or the daiquiri, the sour or, 
you know, different, you know, the dark and stormy family, right? And but there are very few places where these are all codified, which obviously in your book, which is wonderful, is that they're all listed out there and you don't have to, if you don't remember them, like why would most people remember them? But they can look in the book of cocktail ratios and there mm-hmm. they are, right? And and that's I think that's that's so important because you you're otherwise you're sitting there trying to Google like what's the ratio for you right, know, like right. the daiquiri and then, and, and there isn't, you know, Google's not just going to spit out immediately until it digitizes your book. Like, oh, the, this is the, this is the, the Ruhlman's ratio, like for the daiquiri, you know, this is like the Ruhlman's, you know, for the Negroni family. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, it's the type of thing where you can go into it, flip through the chapters, say, oh, right. I made a daiquiri last week. That means I can make these other drinks this week or it's my publisher to, to have a couple of appendix in the back of the book so it was an easy reference like so you can go to the market ratio mm-hmm. page and there's a little chart there with the what the seven drinks that i put in that family for for this book um so i really want to make it easy to use i mean the, the the book kind of works as a almost like a uh a home instruction course uh when i when i started writing about cocktails i was writing for esquire and and uh it was a drink of the week column where I had to put up a new classic cocktail every week. And they were all classic cocktails from one of the old Esquire books. So I had to test a different classic cocktail every week. And that's kind of what this feels like to me is like, this is the education here is you've got basic classic cocktails, a really good variety of them. And they're all broken down and analyzed in a way that, you know, there, there are lots of books of, uh, cocktails for the beginners that make it very, very simple, but they don't really give you this level of analysis, which, and the analysis is what helps you to remember it. It's not just another formula. You're understanding how the drink works and that helps you remember it because you'll remember that understanding. It's like, okay, this is one of those things where you got to balance this with that and then double the amount of booze or something like that. I would have been much better at chemistry if you were my teacher, Dave, and we we're we we're trying to balance uh, drink <laughs> equations and <laughs> chemical uh, equations. But, uh, stuff would have blown up a lot. <laughs> also more fun. The Negroni is a great example of that because I don't like a traditional Negroni. And a lot of people, a lot of people don't like it. You know, I talked to Audrey Saunders about it mm-hmm. and she has her own very specific ratio. I think it's too sweet. Um, and I want, you know, I person my personal days, I wanted a little more gin forward. So I like a two to one to one ratio for a Negroni, especially if it's on the rocks mm-hmm. and it will be diluted over the course of drinking it. Um, so, so two parts gin, one part vermouth, one part Campari, sweet vermouth, I should say, one part correct. Campari. Yes, that's my yeah. ideal. Um, uh, Robert Simonson, his is he agrees with that, but he goes one and a half uh, gin to one to one. Um, See, if I make Negronis, I'll, I'll make adjustments like that. But what what I've, I've learned is, especially uh, drinking in Italy a lot, to just accept whatever they hand you <laughs> and drink it with pleasure. Well, that too. <laughs> you know? Because otherwise. Oh, it, you don't want to be that guy at the bar. You got to like, send the drink back, or you got to specify. They look at you funny. 
You're like, who the hell specifies for a Negroni? You know, we just slap, we slop a bunch of stuff into a glass and bring it out to you, along with these lovely potato chips and olives and uh, and a view of the cathedral. You know, <laughs> I, I think it's always good to remember. Uh, it's like when you're when you're when you're when you're in the driver's seat mixing drinks. That's the time to be as picky as possible. When other people are mixing drinks, I think you end up being happier the less picky you are about it. Uh, I've, I've come to that conclusion. And it's a little bit depressing because, uh, you know, sometimes these drinks are not particularly good. And then I think at the extreme is like, you know, there's, I don't know what, 60s, 70s, maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, where you have all these writers who are like trying to perfect the martini and they oh. come up with these like crazy ratios of gin or vodka to vermouth to other, and and, you know, like, where I don't even know how you'd forget tablespoons and teaspoons. Like you, you'd mm -hmm. need like eyedroppers and, uh, you know, it, like to the point where like, I don't even know how you'd figure it out. I don't know. I'm kind of guilty of this too when I'm making martinis. So, well, David, you, you've, you've, you created, and, and, and I love my martini chapter. And I have to say there is a David one rich martini in there. And it's absolutely brilliant. It's just vodka. It's just all vodka. Yeah. It's all vodka. It's easy, simple. And and and, and it begins. Take one bottle of vodka. <laughs> Put it in the freezer. Take out Put four hours freezer. later. Yeah. My martini is uh, one where I, I I like a lot of vermouth in my martini, but I also like a strong martini. So I cheated, and I used Navy Strength gin. Yeah. Just a little more than half, and a little less than half vermouth. So I get all the vermouth that I, that I want. Plus the Navy strength gin keeps it from being weak. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. That's my little, that's my it's, little cheat. I think that's, that's more than reasonable. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, I have it right here. It's uh, one and three quarters ounces, uh, Navy strength gin, one and one quarter ounces, Navy Pratt or Dolan, uh, and the bitter truth, orange bitters and a twist, which is a seven to five ratio. So seven to five. Um, yeah, and I right. love how simple it is. It seems a little complex, What's what's complex is the reasoning behind it and knowing the ABV and uh, all that and how David figured that out. I thought was masterful. And I'm, I'm glad that he thought of that. Well, it was it was basically uh, just a simple matter of cheating. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get then you get also also in the chapter is the Dale DeGroff Martini, which he mixed. Oh, which is it is lovely. lovely. It's heavy and vermouth. It's, it's like yeah. a perfect um, uh, a perfect martini with a sweet vermouth mm -hmm. and two parts Bianco vermouth um, and old Tom Jim. And he made that for us. Yeah. And it was just uh, delightful. Oh, especially if, you know, if Dale's making you that, you're in such a fine place oh, yeah. in this world. <laughs> if you're sitting there drinking a martini that Dale just made you and you're drinking it with Dale DeGroff. I mean, that was my original cheat. You want to talk about cheating, Dave? Like, yeah. You know, before I knew any of the ratios or could understand mm -hmm could make head or tail of all these recipes my cheat was i would just use dale's recipes so whatever <laughs> whatever dale said that was my recipe for whatever drink it was and that was the easiest way because you'd go to any of these sites and it'd be all these different versions and mm -hmm. some of them were good some of them were bad and you know i realized you know what i was just use dale's recipes all the time and i had done a cocktail class with him when he back in the day when he used to do it the mary marquee i think in 2000 2000 2001 mm -hmm. in the sky lobby and i kept all the i remember the, those classes the, the, the yeah. out. i still have them and that's what i would use i was just you know i was like forget it i don't care i know there are other versions 
let's go with Dale's. That was to call it a day. It was always good. There's uh, that's a sensible way of approaching <laughs> it. Eventually, I you know I got to know uh, Gary Regan as well, and so then there was the real conflict: was do I use Gary's <laughs> recipe? <or Dale's? laughs> that's funny. It's true. Age match. Yeah. And they both have very different, like Gary, you know, rest in peace. He had a very different, uh, he liked a very different flavor profile than I liked. You know I mean? It was almost yeah. like reading like Pauline Kael's like reviews or something, you know, in the times, like, you know, knowing if you agreed with the film critic or not, you could realize if you'd like this trick or not. And sometimes with Gary, would be like, well, if, if Gary does like, this aspect of the drink, I actually might like that drink because <laughs> we disagree yeah, about that. That's, well, that's that's when you get in. That's 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 when you're having fun with cocktails, and, and I love that. And you know, and eventually you get to the point where you're just really not using recipes right. at all, and you're you're just mixing drinks and saying, "Oh, you know, I know that that much vermouth is about the right for this uh, this particular strength of of rye," or and, and and uh, you know you, you still need to measure things to make sure you get it right. Whether you do that by eye or by uh, jigger doesn't matter. But uh, lots and lots of practice, you know how it goes together. Much like cooking, yeah. Like like making a tomato sauce. You know, if you're making a, a simple Italian garlic and tomato sauce for your pasta, you know, you chop up some garlic, you you cook it. A low temperature in oil, not until it turns gold, not brown. Uh, then you throw in chopped rice, ripe, ripe tomatoes, cook it down, and then you know a little bit of salt, so maybe a pinch of hot pepper. And you don't really need a recipe for that. Right. You don't need to get out a book. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you do it a lot and. You can just do it. Um, you, you, we've talked a lot about cooking and its relation to craft. I have a question for both of you. How much? How much is? Um, you know, I love technique in cooking. Tec cooking to me is all about technique. Mm -hmm. It's what I really care about. Um, what are the What are the fundamental techniques that that people for, don't do, neglect to do, don't know about, do wrong? You know, there aren't a lot of uh, fundamental techniques in mixing drinks. There's stuff, you know, there's like stuff on the technical advanced culinary edge, but that's really, you know, later. There's things like swizzling. There are various uh, world drink mixing, uh, uh, things throwing a drink that's hard to do. But uh, the basics are still just stirring and shaking. The thing that people do least that they should do the most is measuring. <laughs> that one's important. And it doesn't have to be like with a careful jigger, you know, you can do it by eye, you can do it by counting. There are many ways. And uh, as long as you're consistent, you know, but stirring is the one that's much harder than it seems. Explain that. People, when they are presented with a mixing glass full of ice and booze and a spoon, They'll kind of drag it around like dragging an oar, uh, a paddle through a big, uh, like a barrel of pickles, you know, like they're stirring the salt into the brine. Uh, and, and they move their elbow and they rotate it in big, uh, big circles. And I, I certainly used to do that. Uh, if you see somebody who really knows how to mix a drink well, uh, to stir a drink well, it's a slight twitch of the wrist. And that's all it is. The arm remains rock steady over the glass, and they're just pulling the uh, 
the spoon around in a little tight circle just uh, with their fingers, not even like holding it tightly. They're just guiding it like it's almost moving on its own. One of Dale's great stories is uh, he was at one of the bars he worked at fairly early on. And uh, this guy was uh, watching him. And the guy was some like comptroller of the city of New York or something like that. He was a big wig uh, customer. And he's watching Dale struggle with stirring the drink. And he goes, give me that. Here's how you do it. And the guy shows him, you know, and 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 just yeah, just 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 move your wrist, you know, drag it around in a little circle. And it takes a lot of practice. It it takes a surprising amount of practice to make it second nature. Uh shaking is easy, but that stirring is real hard. I mean, I, I'd say on the elegant scale, right, you have somebody like Kenta Goto, who, who runs a bar Goto in New York, who, who's from Japan, who's probably the most elegant bartender, or the most bartender with the most elegance, you know, where every movement is done with intention and beauty and grace and efficiency. And God knows I am far from that, right? And and that's the good news is that you, you don't, I may never be as graceful as Kenta but the drinks, you can still make good drinks, right? But I do think that, you know, Dave, you're right. Like people often, they don't stir, they don't stir long enough, right? Sometimes the drinks, you know, aren't, there's not enough dilution. They're not chilled enough. Or on the other hand, they're over diluted because, you know, people, most people still have very bad ice. Like, I mean, it sounds sort of ridiculous, but like a nice silicon mold, they don't, it costs five bucks. They make a huge cube. That's perfect, right? Whether you're shaking or stirring, and that's still something that a lot of people don't have, right? They they have the trays that come with the refrigerator. Throw those out, or buy, you know, invest ten dollars in nice silicon ice cube trays. The other thing that most people don't have, which blows me away, is a hand juicer or juicer of any kind using fresh lemon juice or lime juice that's one of the ultimate techniques for making good cocktails and it still astounds me how many people when a recipe says lime juice lemon juice will go to the refrigerator and pull out a bottle of what's supposedly lemon juice or lime juice and that that's it i mean that's already you've already ruined the drink right and Mm -hmm. that's and the difference is, is like if you use fresh juice people are like oh my god this is incredible how do you make this and it's like it's just fresh lime juice so you go to somebody's house and you, even if you bring limes, like, do you have a reamer? Do you have a glass, you know, juice thing, juicer? Do you have a machine, a hand one? No. And then I started, if I knew I had to make drinks at people's houses, I just bring a hand juicer and leave it there. And that takes your drink making to the next level. Like, I mean, incredibly, like margaritas, daiquiris, anything that needs fresh juice, lemons, limes, much better if it's fresh juiced. Um, and I'd say also something, the last thing is that people often for so long in America, we had lost bitters, right? And if you saw bitters, it was like optional garnish, right? It's not mm-hmm. parsley. <laughs> the bitters like are like, you know, the, you know, when restaurants put on a little salt or olive oil before they bring out your steak or whatever dish, it's kind of the same thing. The bitters, it's essential. It's not optional. And for mm-hmm. so long, we just sort of yeah, treated there to tie it the flavor this. together. Exactly. It, it makes such a big difference. We lost, or- we almost lost orange bitters, didn't we? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I was, uh, when I started 
uh, writing for Esquire in 2000, I could not find orange bitters in New York City. I had yep. to uh, get them. I had to write Joe Fee at Fee Brothers <laughs> and, in and, Rochester, uh, New York, and, yeah. and arrange something. Because they were, they had lost their New York City distributor. And so had they showed bitters. We had to get my my, <laughs> my wife Karen. Fortunately, worked uh, for Larry Forjohn, the great chef, and uh, Emeril Lagasse was was in the restaurant once. And uh, Karen asked him if he knew anywhere to get Peychaud's bitters, and he said, "Well, no, not in New York." And three days later, a box arrived from Emerald at our house uh, with two huge bottles of Peychaud's wow. bitters in it. So, you know, I will always be grateful to that man yeah. because uh, I was able to make Sazeracs. And uh, and this was, you know, this was in the 90s. That stuff was just not available. It was gone. Yeah, he's, he's a good man. And you were lucky to, to have that. And now, of course, we have, um, I think, literally countless bitters. Well, yeah, the, the problems we have now are different from the problems we had uh, 20 years ago. And that's one of the things I like about uh, the Book of Cocktail Ratios, Michael, is you kind of acknowledge and let in a lot of the modern stuff, but you don't let it distract you. It's still a very straightforward book with, you know, major, important, delicious drinks in it. Uh, so many, so many of the problems that we have in bars today are there's too much stuff. There are too many new recipes. There are too many new ingredients. And uh, as a result, drinks have kind of lost their focus. You order a drink and it tastes okay, but it's a little muddy, a little, it's got a little bitter. It's got a little mezcal funk in it. It's got, you know, a little like sherry oxidation and, and, and so many different drinks end up all tasting like that because you know, the people are using a lot of the same ingredients, but they're using too mm -hmm. many of them to trying to check all the boxes. Uh, I, I think it's, it, it makes it very hard. The three ingredient drink is is uh, is endangered again. Oh, how interesting. I, I, I love I love the bitter story that uh, Jeff Morgenthaler um, told me. He, uh, you know, he was in his bar and, and some guy came in and like was giving off a real snobby kind of vibe. And he said, oh, you know, yeah. uh, what kind of bitters you have at this bar? And he didn't like the guy. He says, we've got all three. <laughs> and he put down mango yeah. and Peychaud's <laughs> and orange. <laughs> and I love that response. We have all three. Yeah, I was proud the first time I had all three of those. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I think this is Dave's own corollary to the potato head. Mr. Potato Head is that people have now put every Mr. Potato had accessory onto the potato. Right. Yeah. And that's like, it used to just be two ears, the nose, maybe glasses. If you were feeling no, funky, they're poking you extra the, holes in it. Now. Right, you, you put the lips upside down. No, this is like, you've, you've, you've mashed sets up. Like everything is on that potato. The mustache, the lips, the, 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 the <laughs> lipstick, the everything, uh, everything yeah. you know, every toy in the boxes of that potato. Dough. But if a, if a cocktail has more than five ingredients in it, I'm suspicious to begin with. Yeah, I think I think you really have to earn those. Especially if it's not a Jeff Berry tiki cocktail. There you go. I'm <laughs> not sure I want it. Well, well, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the the, the show. Congrats again on the book. It's uh, 
think people will find it incredibly helpful to have uh, in their home libraries. Yeah. So, always, so. always a pleasure chatting with you. And, uh, you know, uh, we wish you the, the best of luck with it. It's a fun book and it's a beautiful book. Uh, thank you so much, both of you. Uh, I, I, I respect you guys so much and I'm so grateful to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers.